You're listening to The Growing Season, a podcast from Arkansas PBS. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Ten months. It seems at once a lifetime and a blink of an eye. The growing season set out to take a good, long, honest look at what it means to be a farmer in Arkansas. After a year of determination, heartbreak, and community, that look is coming to an end. This year, our farmers have faced climate change as well as threats of violence and financial ruin. But now, in December, they put this season to bed, and a few of them are even looking on to 2023. This month, we'll catch back up with each of our six farmers one last time to get their final thoughts on the tumultuous year and what lessons they might have picked up along the way. Arkansas PBS producer Corey Womack will sit down once again with Arkansas Secretary of Agriculture, Wes Ward. They'll discuss just what made this past year so challenging and what changes lie ahead. So keep your eyes on the horizon. A new year approaches on the growing season. If this year has proven nothing else, it has shown that a farmer's work is never done. No one understands this better than Darren Davis in Lakeview, Arkansas. A late spring and a dry summer have spelled a long and late harvest for Darren's cotton fields. After 32 years, he's used to it. But never has Darren found himself on the tractor seat this late in the year. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. For the first time in three decades, Darren Davis spent Christmas Day out on the cotton picker. First time that's ever happened, but um, we did a lot of custom harvesting. Maybe took on a little more than I was prepared to take on. And that was the biggest reason we we got behind. So, but we got it out and they're ginning it now. So everything, everybody's happy, (laughs) everybody's happy. In addition to his own fields, Darren picked about 600 acres of cotton for other farmers. Latest I've ever harvested by far. It was a long, challenging season, but it's over, and we'll <laughs> and we'll move over into the next one. So, uh, my dad always told me no two years are the same, and he's absolutely right because this year went very long. It was it was extended by a long by a long time. A week after Christmas, Darren finally closed out the longest season of his life with an annual end-of-year crop production meeting with local farmers. More than a dozen African-American agricultural workers gathered inside Lakeview City Hall where they began with a prayer. So continue to bless this community, O Lord, that has been so good to a lot of us. The farmers who came from Jefferson, Lee, and Phillips counties discussed long-term topics like the impact of climate change. As climate change affects us, it affects folks in California a lot worse because we have water. So that industry is going to have to move somewhere and we're in a prime location. And short-term projects like funding opportunities for next season. Car deal by themselves have $10 billion that they are trying to spend with African-American farmers and can't do it, struggling to do it. Now, we got to get organized. They wrapped up by enjoying some home-cooked pulled pork, coleslaw, and warm peach cobbler. Darren says the farmers are on the same team 
and this annual discussion is just one way they help each other out. Farming is nothing but a fraternity. It's not in the books as a fraternity, but farming is a fraternity. So like, I know every farmer in Phillips County and I'm pretty sure that every farmer knows me. So uh, we occasionally get together and talk and, and uh, I have friends that's, that's uh, white farmers, I have friends that's black farmers and we, it's just a big fraternity. <laughs> that's all it is and everybody, um, share the same common goal. So, and that's to uh, put in the best crop we can put in and, and pray for the best. Farming is very weather-driven and sometimes Mother Nature cooperates. Other times, like this year, she doesn't. But the rough season taught Darren some lessons. I learned that we don't have any time to waste. I, I told my guys, you know, and I know they get tired and I know they want time off, but because sometimes we work for maybe six weeks or so, seven days a week before it ever rains to give you a day or so off. So in that time, they, they get a little aggravated, a little tired, but we can't afford to stop until Mother Nature forces us to. Darren knows he'll need more workers to tackle next year's challenges. So he's looking into the H-2A program that allows employers to bring immigrants to the U.S. to fill temporary agricultural jobs. I could have stood another guy, but you, where do you find them? You, nobody wants to work anymore. They don't. And uh, it's the same way on the farm as it is at Walmart or Burger King or wherever. Nobody wants to work anymore. So work was nearly impossible, helpers were nearly impossible to find. And so this year, the one thing I've learned is that I need some more labor and that I'm going to have to go H2A to get it. Although there will be less downtime before next season, Darren hopes they'll get off to a better start. Ideally, he'd like a really cold January to help with insect control, and an early spring so they can start preparing the ground for planting. However, he knows how much God likes to laugh when you tell him your plans. Glad it's over. That's my take on this year. I'm just glad uh, it's coming to an end, and praying that we have a better 2023. In spite of the challenges, Darren maintains his hopefulness. The veteran farmer can't predict the future, but knows it's best to take it all in stride. As he often says, it is what it is. It is what it is. Early in our journey, we might have thought his simple refrain was a farmer's easy way of avoiding their daily frustrations. But now, after 10 months of witnessing and feeling those frustrations firsthand, it is what it is, begins to feel more like the practice mantra of a Buddhist monk. Rather than letting themselves get tied up in the daily, weekly, or even season-long frustrations of their lives, farmers like Darren Davis have maneuvered a kind of emotional detachment, a form of protection from the forces they cannot control. Another great practitioner of this mantra is Will Norton, who has learned that the more things change around his farm, the more they stay the same. Producer Jordan Hickey has the story. It's been almost nine months since Will Norton first described the small-scale version of the farm in the family's garage. Today, it's much the same. Rachel is preparing a meal, albeit on a larger scale, for the Boone County 4-H Horse Club kids and their parents who are stopping by in a little over an hour. The kids are playing, 
cow showing off its headstand abilities and bringing up a set of antlers he insists that he harvested. Will is seated at the counter, arm no longer in a sling. It might not seem like the better part of a year has passed, but it has. And as we settle down to chat, Will looks back on the year and the lessons learned. I learned that five-year-old children don't really have the patience to go deer hunting. Um, I do too. <laughs> I tried a book last year. It's lying. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't learn anything breathtaking. Nothing earth shattering. I don't know. I mean, you constantly learning little things here and there and stuff. Nothing that you would just write a book on, but just little daily stuff or whatever weekly stuff. Huh? Won't do that again, or hey, this is easier. Or that worked. Sounds pretty bad. You go a whole year and you don't learn anything. Yeah. We learned that the same truck driver can hit the same twi sign twice. <laughs> it's not that they haven't been through a lot these past few months. Far from it. There's been global strife, sick kids, that torn bicep, plus a litany of daily stressors that are just part of doing what the Nortons do on their farm. But that's just the thing. When Will talks about the cattle business and everything that's helped him on the way, you start to realize that he probably has already learned some of the hardest to learn lessons one's liable to find on a farm. Everything I've ever learned come with a 10% penalty, big bang, or death loss. My education cost three times what a Harvard education cost, hands down. You learn it through lots of mistakes and they're very costly. But that is one thing in the business is risk management, you've got to calculate, figure. You're not always gonna be right, but you've gotta be right more than you're wrong, and you can't be afraid to be wrong. That's not to say that he claims to know everything, though. In truth, that's one of the biggest lessons there is to know as a farmer. You will never know everything. I'm sitting by a guy that does what I've done. He's done it in a lot bigger way than I'll ever do it. I was sitting by him one day, we was watching a set of calves sell, and I said, you know, I used to thought I knew what one was worth, and I said, now I had no idea. And he says, now you're getting somewhere, and that's about right. You don't know. When you start getting arrogant, that's usually when you get an education. This idea of education and how you learn the business gets at the heart of the question that Will and I have touched upon in passing, but never really addressed, mostly because he's careful to avoid the proverbial soapbox. However, as we're chatting about this idea, about education and how the upcoming generation of farmers are being raised, he seems to venture an opinion. Why are we not teaching ag business, basic ag business, even in a high school level? Why are we not teaching them how to do risk management? Why aren't we, I mean, all this has cost a lot of money. Why are we not touching the basics in school? I have offered to three different FFAs to supply on the cattle, the feed, let them have the profit off of it, send the cattle all the way to the feed yard, let the kids learn why it is you start good vaccination programs, the better genetics, and nobody's interested. But they'll go to a ball game, they'll go to some sort of small engine repair, some welding school, something. I don't know. I don't know. Very disappointing to me. Ultimately, however, what it seems to come down to, and what Will said so many times over the course of the year, 
is that you've got to be open to learning new things. You've got to know that you don't know everything. You've got to take in information and draw your own conclusions. You've got to know that there will always be more and better ways to make your operation more efficient. Nobody knows what's going to happen. A long time ago, I decided I wasn't going to follow one thing. I read lots and lots of articles every morning. I get the... I form an opinion off of multiple deals. I don't... I don't necessarily read this and say, oh, there's the there's the future, you know. You're carrying this and that. Who knows what's going to happen there. Um, who knows what's going to happen to the economy, all this and that. Um, I don't listen. I mean, I listen to the news and stuff like that, but I don't get hung up on it. It's pretty obvious. The news media sells fear and worries. All you can do is make the best decisions you can today and do what you can do. Worrying's not going to solve any of it. So, lots of ways to learn that you don't have to buy the education, necessarily, the hard way. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I don't want to leave it on a bad note. This was set up on mental health. Yeah, it can be stressful, but every job can be stressful. But, I don't know, I guess that's it. And so, Will Norton wraps his story up with the same signature brevity he told it with. I guess that's it. Will and Rachel have spent the year insisting their little farm was anything but noteworthy. But as the tough season wore on and Will struggled with a torn bicep, the lifetime farmhand quickly found himself in a more supervisory role. And Will, like every other farmer on our series, rose to the challenge. That is really all farming or any other way of life boils down to getting up every morning and facing the day. Few people face the day with the hope and grace of Donna Kilpatrick on Heifer Ranch. Her thoughtful, engaged leadership has seen the farm in Perryville through a lot of changes this year, and a few bigger ones just on the horizon. The Yarns, Omaya Jones has the story. Anticipating below freezing temperatures, Donna spends the holiday ensuring the livestock can withstand the cold. So I'll show you, we've moved them down into a pasture um, and we've already fed out hay to get us through January the 3rd. So we spent two days giving hay to the mama cow as well as the steers just to be really well prepared. So they're all set up. Um, most of the staff, actually all the staff, is taking off for Christmas, going home to see their families, which is amazing. Um, but it means we're going to be pretty short-staffed. It's just going to be me and Eli, one of our volunteers here. So just trying to get everything, like, really set up so that, you know, knowing that it's going to get frigid, most of our energy is going to be spent on animals that need lots and lots of water and of course cows need lots of water but their watering system doesn't freeze the pigs are we actually sometimes have to haul water to them when it freezes so that'll be the bulk of our work is keeping the pigs happy during this cold snap and the restorative practices at Heifer are providing the animals with some creature comforts for the cold. Yeah, we also were very strategic about where we put them, what field we picked. So they have lots of pine trees to get underneath and shelter from the wind and from the cold. 
I mean, it doesn't help that much, but definitely if it breaks the wind, it helps. But in addition to the hay, you can see, I mean, below all these weeds, there's actually quite a bit of stockpile forage for them. So they're not just eating hay right now. They've got some real stuff to eat that they love. While she remains busy as ever, Donna and Liz have a new family member on the ranch, Liz's dad. He's doing great. So yeah, so he moved after his triple bypass. It's one of those things where, I mean, so much stuff had to happen. Like the house had to be sold, the surgery. Liz went up there and lived for over a month. Um, just crazy stuff had to be taken care of. It all came together. The house sold within, I believe, a week okay. for the asking price. Um, her father seems to have a new lease on life. Like, he is loving Arkansas. Um, right now, he's living on the farm in one of the apartments. He rented one of the little apartments here for a month. But he stayed with us for the first two weeks. He stayed in our house, and we stayed out in the Airstream, which was interesting. Um, but then we found an apartment for him to rent here on the ranch. But we've also found a really awesome place for him to rent in Little Rock um, at an apartment complex that seems to have a really cool community. Okay. Like they do a lot of fun stuff together. And it's it's in the Heights, which is one of our favorite neighborhoods. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think he's gonna really like it. We asked Donna to reflect on the year, this experience, and what she's learned. It's been real, it's been a good year. Uh, the years sort of roll, sort of squished together in some ways. Like it's been, in terms of agriculture, I feel like we're making steady progress. Um, I have talked about the, st the staff so often in these podcasts, but for real, it's the team that makes it work. Um, we just hired a new assistant poultry person to help Sam with her enterprise. So we're adding a new person on the team. Um, we've been meeting our, our, our revenue goals. The animals are super healthy. Uh, the drought was a butt kicker this year. I'm not gonna lie, that really hurt. Uh, going through actually two droughts, but we did okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a good year. I think I continue to learn um, in farming and in relationships that you can't control things and with nature that you can't control anything, that you've got to work with it. Um, and so maybe, I'm, I don't know that I would say this year that I've learned this, but I feel like in general, I'm letting go a little bit in terms of wanting to make everything work out the way I want it to work out, just let it go. And it usually happens the way it's supposed to happen. But with her notable humility, Donna admits there is room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, Liz, Liz is uh, really into meditation and we talk about mindfulness a lot. Um, and she's much better about being mindful and stopping herself and thought processes that are going awry. I'm really trying to be better about that. Yeah. 
and to realize the things that I can control and the things that are outside of my control. How long have you been doing meditation? Oh, I don't, I'm horrible at it. Liz is, Liz is very good about okay. it. Um, I, I'd say I do it consistently twice a week. Okay. But I'm, I, I start meditating and within one second my mind is like already off somewhere. Um, so anyway, it's something I would like to be better at. I know that it makes me feel better. I mean, you know, I look at the changes that have come about in Liz's life through mindfulness, um, treating herself with kindness, being eating healthy food, watching a radical transformation in a human being that I live with and know that it works. You know, I, I wish that I, I hope that I could start practicing some of those same things. As we prepare to leave Heifer, Donna is also preparing to shift her focus off the farm and towards strengthening the network of like-minded organizations. You know, I just got a promotion and moving in a different, a different area of work, still de- definitely on the ground, but working more with farmers, heifer, uh, grassroots farmers, um, outside of the ranch and um, building relationships within our value uh, chain within, you know, heifer, grassroots, Cypress Valley. So I, I think it's a little bit too early to say, to be honest with you. Um, I guess I mean, one takeaway from the work that I've started is the is the, just simply the value in making time to build relationships and the value in that. Um, in terms of the ranch work though, it's more of the same, more working on uh, scientifically showing the regenerative work that we're doing. Uh, more continued, you know, continued work on empowering our staff to gain new skills and to build their enterprises, um, and then connecting that work that we're doing with other farmers. This year has taught Donna Kilpatrick that relationships are what make the work worthwhile, both on the farm and off. Donna has learned that part of being a great leader is assembling your team and having faith they will deliver. Great leadership is trusting in the people under you. On the home front, Donna and Liz have seen a lot this year. They've seen the ranch work cancel trips while also inviting Liz's father to stay with them on the farm after suffering heart surgery. A lot of folks outside of agriculture might forget that a farm is more than just a place to work. It's also where a rancher like Donna lives. She and Liz are working hard to build a home and a family together, all while Donna keeps the organization on the up and up. Larry Galligan is also rediscovering what it means to be home and to be a family man. Producer Antoinette Grajeda has the story. The sun sinks toward the horizon in the late afternoon sky as Larry Galligan works in his garage. The cool air blows through the entrance as he cuts through a piece of wood with a handsaw. With this season's farm work behind him, Larry has turned his attention to unfinished home projects like creating this custom floor transition strip for the kitchen. 
for our very strange and custom house, we have to have very strange and custom parts. So that's what I've been doing today. And I'm not allowed to start any more projects till the kitchen's completely, completely finished. And I want it completely finished as well, so. Larry reaches a stopping point and heads inside. He sits at the kitchen table, his gray sweater covered in pale sawdust. Ten months ago, he sat in the same spot, sifting through seed packets prior to planting. Today, he breathes a sigh of relief that this year's growing season has come to an end. Oh no, this this season was was horrible, you know, and it it just I could see the way it was going, and I decided rather than you know turning myself inside out trying to make it work to just step away, you know, and it's. It's hard to admit that it was failing, you know, but it was. It was not good. <laughs> it was now. The West Fork farmer knows he was fortunate to be in a position to make that choice. Obtaining a full-time job at a research and extension center in Fayetteville this summer provided a source of income that allowed him to scale back farm operations. Although he had the week off for Christmas break, Larry still popped into work to deal with issues like frozen pipes but says those tasks are different from worrying about your own farm. The biggest part of agriculture that I've been dealing with right now is other people's agricultural stuff. So how's that feel? Fine, because I mean, it's, it's still important, but it's, it's not like I'm watching my own, my own operation suffer or fall apart. And so that's a relief at the end of the day. Larry says it's been great not having to worry about the impacts of severe winter weather on his farm this year. His wife, Brooke, is also grateful. Seeing her husband slow down a little has made her happy because she knew transitioning back to having a full-time job while running the farm could have had the opposite effect. There was a lot of times where we didn't even really get to spend a lot of time together. Um, and it was like just seeing him, you know, for dinner and that was it. And so uh, I was wondering if that was going to happen again, but um, luckily it did not. And so it's good to see, see him to you know, kind of just take the pri priorities and just, you know, um, take a break from the farm too. I mean, every once in a while you just kind of need a break. And so I'm glad to see him take a break, especially uh, with the rough summer that we had. And then um, now we can, you know, go into the new year looking refreshed and ready to, to go on. On, to go on and do the things that we know work and are more efficient. This year's obstacles have taught Larry what he can and cannot do successfully as a one-man operation. I've finally got a pretty good grasp of what my limitations are, you know, whereas I, you know, we'd kind of been starting to figure it out, but we still didn't know, you know, how, what scale I could operate at and handle it and everything else and not go crazy or... You know, and that's, or stretch myself too thin or worry about running out of water and having to ration water. He also learned how easy it is to lose sight of priorities, like making time for family and friends when you throw yourself into work. I kind of miss going places and traveling. You know, we've been talking about going up to visit some friends over spring break in Minneapolis, maybe, and then, you know, trying to find ways to, you know, we're going to go skiing next November and Park City and, and that stuff's all fun, you know, and you, when you get yourself so consumed with what you're doing, you know, it starts to cut into that. And I do enjoy those other things too, you know, working on my house, you know, my house that's half finished, been half finished for 10 years, you know, so, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm learning. 
Riverside Specialty Farm will shift its focus to root crops in the new year, and while much has changed since Larry started farming five years ago, he's optimistic about the future. I'm always feeling good at the end of every year, you know, because I'm always kind of excited about what's coming. Larry anticipates he'll start planting in February. He expects to continue adapting his operation as needed because just like his West Fork home, Larry and his farm are a work in progress. A work in progress. A farmer's work is, indeed, never done. The changes of this growing season have pulled Larry Galligan further from home as he took a job at the University of Arkansas. However, by making that difficult choice of stepping away from Riverside Specialty, Larry has found the chance to also come home, in a sense, spending more quality time with his wife, Brooke, and his son, Wyatt. Most Arkansas farms are family affairs. This is seldom more true than the agro-tourism operation Dogwood Hills, which mother-daughter team Ruthie and Grace Pepler have managed and expanded over the last decade in the Ozarks outside of Marshall. Dogwood Hills has set an example for an agro-tourism operation in Arkansas and earned Ruthie the chance at an upcoming international trip to share her expertise. All this success and hard work are shared with her daughter, Grace, who has grown up on the farm, but Ruthie is trying not to take Grace for granted. Ruthie knows as the seasons pass, Grace might be looking to the horizon to start a farm or a different life of her own. Journalist Jordan Hickey has the story. It's December. In the living room at Dogwood Hills is crowded with a partially decorated tree, one of three that the Peplers will have up this year, surrounded by plastic bins brimming with ornaments that will soon adorn its branches. More than a dozen bunt cake pans of every make and style are stacked on a table. The evidence of their work at a nearby Christmas sale in Gilbert, the proceeds of which helped make a payment on the dozen odd hay bales now sitting in the pasture. But of course, the most remarkable news is Ruthie's plans for the rest of the month. Yeah, I leave Sunday for South America, so we're trying to get everything prepped for Christmas before I go, maybe at least. I remember I went to the International Agritourism Conference. Yeah. I got recruited through that. I'm gonna go down with them and kind of brainstorm and see what they have to offer, how we can connect to their community, how we can bring in other farmers. We're gonna to tour other farms to see how they can be part of it and engage youth. This is an adventure. I feel like The Hobbit. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out all the things I need to pack in my bag. <laughs> yeah. Of course, this is far from surprising. So much of what Ruthie does with agritourism stems from drawing on her own experience to help others. Still, even as she prepares to leave, she continues to face the many challenges posed to the farm, particularly figuring out exactly what people want. We made a few changes this year you know, some self-analysis to try and figure out what was working and what wasn't. The major thing that we did is we had been pushing retail food, retail food, and we discovered over the course of the year, trying some different things, that what people want, they want the whole experience, they want breakfast, they want dinner, Snacks in between would be great, you know, but I'm still cleaning up. <laughs> I can't do lunch, that's not a doable. But they want that whole package experience. Still, as Ruthie is quick to note, the questions of financial solubility, 
how to keep the farm going even as hay prices rise along with those of flour, butter, and everything the peddlers need to stock their kitchen all remain. There's also the matter of making sure that Grace is having a chance to live her own life, that she's got a life beyond the farm. I think probably one of my concerns really has been Grace and making sure she has time off, you know, because she's in a family business. Is this really what she wants to be doing with her life? You know, what are her concerns about either continuing education or meeting people or all of these things that, you know, we think about. In the past year, Ruthie says, that line of communication has been a little more open and it's helped them improve the relationship as well. Yeah, I mean, she's been definitely like, she asks more like, she's been asking more often, is this really what you want to do? <laughs> I think I scare her every now and then when you're talking about, you know, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe. <laughs> I mean, well, even like the baking cakes, the details. It was right. We had this whole conversation the other day about baking all these cakes. I'm like, she's like, I really don't like baking. I'm like, I just like crazy, like, what are you talking about? And then she explained to me. Right, it's the things that, you know, stress me out about it because I am a perfectionist to some degree. So the stress of this not working really gets to me. She was like, oh, well, would you like to decorate cookies? And I'm like, no. I'm like, because if it's not perfect, it's going to put me over the edge. It was fine when she was younger. Now she wants a little bit more independence. So I got to make sure she gets those times to go do things with friends too. Yeah. And sometimes that's a matter of just like, I'm going to leave after chores are done in the morning and I won't be home for chores tonight. So I need to make sure that I get that done. And, you know, there's a point in where you're the mom and you just say, we got to get this done. And then there's a point where you're the business owner and you say, we got to get this done. And then you got to remember there's a point when she's a young adult and she needs to do some other things that aren't on that list that I have. <laughs> and there's also the question of stress and mental health. But the Peplers, like other folks who work in this field, take the approach of self-preservation. They know that there are going to be busy days. In fact, most days will be busy days. The early part of this week, for example, Monday and Tuesday, had been especially challenging. Ruthie said that they try to avoid stacking too many busy days on top of each other. But what happens when that's not possible? Wait till Wednesday. So just trying to, to take those moments when you need them. You have to, because if you, if you don't take those opportunities, that's when it really, you know, the candle starts melting in the middle. Going forward, the Peplers say, they'll continue to do what they've always done. They'll continue to innovate, continue to try new things, to see what works and what doesn't. And when next year rolls around, they'll be asking themselves the same questions they're asking now. How close did we come to doubling our occupancy? How close did we get this? You know, did more people stay on the farm and do things like classes we offered? Like, did they take advantage of that? Did they like it? You know, did they feel it was a good value? All of those things, we'll be doing that next December. You know, see how it goes. You really got to try it for a full year. It's not like you can take a chunk of a year in tourism and say, oh, this is representative, because it's not. It's kind of like farming, seasonally. It's, you, you can't take just spring and say it's representative the whole year. So much of farming is the open and free sharing of knowledge and lessons learned. Grace and Ruthie Pepler are doing what they can to make the profession and the lifestyle more accessible and realistic to those on the outside looking in.
Beyond looking to the future of just your farm and what the next year holds, as more and more people step away from the rural small towns of Arkansas and continue to move to the cities, many farmers worry about the future and sustainability of their very way of life. Ruthie and Grace do what they can, welcoming neighbors and strangers to Dogwood Hills for potlucks and cast-iron cook-offs. Meanwhile, Rachel and John Michael Bearden in Friendship, Arkansas, are getting the work of the future started much earlier with their daughter, affectionately called Little Bit. The Yarns' Omaya Jones has the story. We meet the Beardens for a final time on Mr. Joe's farm. So this deal... Mr. Joe retired and had this place of land that hadn't been anything other than it had been an old row crop farm that had just kind of sat. And he wanted to do more with it and really liked the idea of getting into cattle but didn't know anything. So we worked out a lease agreement where we're all partners in these cows. So he bought in and we moved 30 of our own cows down here. He bought into half of the herd and we, and the ground is included in that partnership. So this is his piece of property. We own half the cattle, and he's learning about the cattle industry and how to be involved in it. And we're still invested in it because the cattle are half hours. Okay. So he's learning along the way, but that also splits the workload, mm -hmm. which is nice because, like, today Mr. Joe was here to put hay out, and that's one less group of cows on my cloud to feed hay to yesterday when he fed hay to everything. So, and it helps Mr. Joe get started because he's not doing everything on his own either. Right. So it's a win-win for both of us. We asked the Beardens to reflect on the year past. It's been a challenge. This has probably been one of the most challenging years with all the changes. We've had the plan, but we haven't had... It's just been a tough year. Nature and things that are out of our control, the cost of this year, and... Honestly, there was some poor decision-making and there was some times where I know for me that I lost probably my confidence because it's easy to do. And it's still getting up every morning and saying, well, we have to do something. These guys depend on us. This, this has to continue moving. This has to, has to work one way or the other. We will either adapt or we will fail. And that's, you know, we've talked several, quite a bit about being able to grow and build and, and cover everything. And that's the key to this is you look at it and you put it down on paper of how, how are you gonna succeed and how are you gonna survive and be able to provide for not only your family, but the mouths that are dependent upon you. And I told him earlier, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's been a good year. I look back and with my day job, I've won some national awards. I decided to go back to running barrels this year because I needed something fun for me and I won a year-long state title for that this year and that's been good. Last week I won the Farm Bureau discussion meet and there's been all these good things that have happened. But I'm just tired <laughs> more than anything. And normally this time of year is when I get to kind of slow down and take a deep breath and recover some of that. But right now I'm just tired. They may be tired, but the Beardens don't ever take their eyes off the future. One of the things we want to do is change up how we do some of our bookkeeping and our record keeping. And so we've made our own Excel sheet. We were trying to use some uh, stuff that was already out there and then the notebook method. And so um, 
I want to go to an RFID tag where um, we can keep digital records of everything that talks to our computer and then goes into an Excel program to keep herd records, even financial records, different things like that. Um, the next thing I want to change is I want to be a little bit more adventuresome in moving cattle back and forth. Um, I don't quite have the herd that I want yet, you know, the type of pedigree. So I want to start beginning to um, move some smaller groups out and then put a little bit of money within and have a better pedigree. You know, I want to go to a better quality cow. We're to the number that we want. Now I want to swap the number gain to a quality and number. And um, kind of funny when you start looking at your plan and thinking a year out, you know, moving things and kind of you look at projections in the market reports and trying to make those decisions now, you need to be thinking about it now, you know. And what do they hope we've learned farming next to them this year? Check on your local farmers. Just a little bit of appreciation while they're driving down the road in a tractor. Don't run them off the road. I mean, they're just as worried and concerned as you are. And they're trying to get a job done. They're trying to be out here and provide. Um, they're looking for an honest living, an honest way to, to make a life and provide good quality, safe food and fiber and shelter. And just have a little bit more, I don't want to say respect, but understanding understanding of what it is and that's one of the things we hoped out of this deal was they take on a lot of unknowns and a lot of challenges that ultimately are out of their control i get on a soapbox a lot and i am proud that my job gives me a platform to do this but if you have questions about where your food comes from where your fiber comes from where your shelter comes from come ask the people that do it every day be willing to have those conversations with the farmers who have boots on the ground. If you don't understand, ask the farmers your questions because we are passionate about what we do. We work day in and day out, tirelessly on the good days and the bad days because we love what we do. We care about these critters, whether they're gonna grow up like these girls to be their next generation of cows or those boys that are being raised to put meat on somebody's table. We care about all these guys, and I would love to tell somebody who's interested in where their food comes from what we do every day. And bring them, most people would let them come out and look around, and I don't know very many cattlemen who don't like to talk about their cows. Come talk to us and find out where your food comes from firsthand. Don't believe all the things that are out there. There's a ton of ag myths that I can get on a barely long soapbox about, but talk to your farmers and trust that the people who are growing your food care about it. We have an open door policy. Mm -hmm. If you want to come experience horses, sheep, cattle, hay, whatever, just call, message, text, I don't care, show up. I mean, half the county shows up anyway, so. Whether you're buying beef at the grocery store or you're gonna come out and pick one of these guys out to go in your own freezer, I have no qualms that beef is safe. I have no qualms that corn is safe, whether it's a GMO corn or whether it's organic. Food is safe in our culture, and we are very blessed in that, and don't let anybody make you think otherwise. Perseverance, community, trust. We set out to make our podcast about mental health, but 10 months of stories have shared so much more. 
Our farmers have persevered through one of the most tumultuous years Arkansas agriculture has seen in over a decade. They have done this through the knowledge, support, and hard work of the communities around them. Not just their local geographical communities, but industry communities of experts like doctors Ron Rainey and Katia Fernandez, and the forward-thinking growers like Halle Schaffner. And all farmers ask in return is our trust. Our trust that they know what they're doing and that they care to do it right. Ten months ago, Arkansas Secretary of Agriculture, Wes Ward, set us out on our journey. So now, at the start of a new season, he returns to sit down with Arkansas PBS producer, Corey Womack, to talk about what can be taken away from this year in farming. Ten months ago, we sat down together. I don't even think we had cameras at that point. And so uh, you're the one that kind of helped kick us off and uh, here to wrap us up here in the end um, and and really kick us off from the very get-go. So thank you again from the Department of Agriculture uh, for for providing the grant that allowed the growing season to be. Yeah. No, well, you bet. And, uh, you know, it, 10 months goes really quick. Uh, it seemed like that was yesterday. But, uh, we're, we're, you know, you have just been great partners, and we appreciate what y'all are doing, cover these important stories. And so we appreciate y'all doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about. We've learned a lot from a lot of different farmers this year. Um, one of the most surprising things I saw is, is we've got got some farmers in Friendship, Arkansas that are raising hay. Um, And so the hay industry really kind of got turned upside down this year. Yeah, no, it, it really did. And so, you know, you know, I, I would say it's probably early July time frame was, you know, late late June, early July, like it was it was hot and it was dry. And so that compounded very quickly. You know, we, you know I remember we got a, a, a phone call during the middle of the week. It's like, we need you to, to go to North North Central Arkansas to a livestock market for a, to a sale barn. They were going to have a bunch of producers. They were uh, struggling with the drought conditions and trying to help. And we were having conversation with Governor Hutchinson on what can we do and reaching out to USDA so, you know, even even early on during the hot and dry summer, like it was, uh, it was pretty evident pretty quickly that the the cattle producers, the hay producers, were really going to take a really rough, right. rough summer, and, and they certainly did. Right, and I mean, uh, the the folks we talked to, you know, they went so far as to, you know, they had some neighbors. Some threats were called in on some property. I mean, is that common? I mean, is that do we see that often around uh, the state? Yeah, you, you hate to hear those sort of stories. You know, you know, you, you know, for the most part, agriculture. You know, we're, we're good neighbors. Uh, we know each other. We, you know, we know our neighbors. We, we, you know, we work together. We help each other out. And so, but when you have these really stressful sort of situations, you know, everybody's just on edge. And mm-hmm. you know, and and I hope that that situation resolved itself in a in a nice way. And you know, and hopefully, you know, that's kind of. Uh, in the past now, but but it happens. You know, you have a lot of stress, and you have a lot of uh, a lot of things riding on your ability to make a living, and you know, mm-hmm. and the health of your animals and your fields and your crops. And so, you, you go through a situation like that, and like everybody's on edge, and those sort of tempers can flare, and it's pretty easy to for those sort of situations to happen. You just hope that they can get over it and move on. Right, and I think it's it's probably more of an illumination, you know, less of who those people are, and more of an illumination. And I'm, you know, part of me's glad we were there to cover it. Sure of that's how dire the situation what you know i mean i think a lot of people yeah it's hot man that's hard on farmers oh that's right and it's like 
no, <laughs> it's a serious yeah. situation. No, that, that, and that I think is a great point, you know, that agriculture deals with a lot, you know, for, for most people, you know, they're, uh, and I don't mean in a negative way, but they're commuting back and forth to work, you know, they've got their job, everything's mm-hmm. fun, you know, yeah, oh, it's hot outside today, oh, it's been a hot summer, uh, yes, it has, but what if, what if your livelihood depends on, right. you know, you know, that you know hay or, coming, or yeah. cattle, and, and that doesn't happen, I mean, it's a, you know, it's been a very challenging year, and, and sometimes people outside of agriculture just forget uh, the risk and the challenges that the, the producers and the industry as a whole faces. Our podcast was supposed to cover stories of mental health and the tools used to cope with those struggles. On the other side of the coin, I think so much of what we've talked about is uh, is perseverance. Yeah. Early on, you know, I wanted farmers to talk about their feelings and how they were how they were coping. And and like with Darren Davis or with the Beardens and friendship, so much you hear is just like, well, that's the way it goes. You know, that's like right. that's just that's just the way that you know we'll deal with it when that's it comes. Right. And, and so, how do you think? What what role do you think perseverance plays? You know, oh, it's crucial. You know, I, I think uh, I, I don't know that there's anybody in agriculture that doesn't recognize that there's just there's going to be hard times. Right. I mean, it's just like you just you just know it. Like you know, even even in a good year. Uh, you're always optimistic. This this year's going to be better than last year, but but you also know like this year's going to have challenges, and mm-hmm. this year's been no different. And I think that's where agriculture really shines. So, you know, whether it's trying to help get a crop in, or trying to help move cattle, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. You know, the industry. You, you hate to hear the negative stories because I, th- you know, they happen for sure. And uh, you know, and hopefully it's just circumstantial, and you know, just a one-off sort of situation. But for the most part. The industry works great together, you know, right. and there are challenges for sure, but uh, we try to help each other. We try to be supportive, and if someone needs something, we, we usually try not to leave them out to dry. It's like, that's your problem. you got to figure it out your own. It's like we're usually usually there for each other. Every month, one of these farmers would drop a story on my lap yeah. where I'm like, I don't know how you're coming back. Like, I don't <laughs> know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm going to talk to you next month because, right. you know, yeah. and every month, all yeah. six of them showed up I mean, and, it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it really is just a, a testament to their personal as well as the industry's resilience and perseverance. Like they're just they're going to keep going, and yeah. they're not going to be down until like they're uh, until they're out for the count because they're just they're going to find a way to get back up. Right. Is there anything else that that you or the Department of Agriculture wants to kind of you know this is your soapbox? You know, <laughs> is there any other message you kind of want to share? Yeah, with us? no, I, I you know I would just say one that y'all been great partners and we just appreciate y'all doing this and helping to share those stories and uh, it's incredibly important uh, you know and I hope that the people that are listening you know, uh, can can get that point of you know the resiliency and the perseverance the community. Uh, piece of agriculture. It's our state's largest industry, and there's just so much that goes on to uh, to make the industry successful. So many issues and challenges that people have to come overcome every year, and uh, it's more than most people recognize. Especially as people get further and further away from the farm, they they forget uh, how challenging that is, and uh, and how important it is. I mean, every single one of us, food, fiber, fuel, and shelter that we depend on every single day, and these are the people that make that happen. So it's a uh, uh, we'll continue. You know, 2020. 2023 will be a year of surprises as well. There'll be things that happen. It's like, I didn't see that one coming, but <laughs> but uh, but we'll work through it. We'll persevere. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and we tell we tell kids that are, you know, looking at careers and prospects in the future, it's like, you know, what is the, what's the one field that's not going away? So it's, it's agriculture. Like, it will be here. Like, yeah. good. So we're, we've we're got to figure out. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we'll be here. We'll keep working and uh, we'll, we'll overcome the challenges. And we appreciate y'all being part of the journey. 
10 months ago, we set out to take a good, long, honest look at what it means to be a farmer in Arkansas. It goes without saying the work is hard and never finished. I know I've been surprised by the amount of setbacks, heartbreaks, and ruined plans that have come up for our six farmers this year. But I've also been astounded at the heart, the care, and the perseverance shown by these Arkansans. Their stories have been at once exceptional and mundane. They are exceptional because at every week without rain, every pulled muscle or sleepless night, they could have given up. They could have packed things in and called it a day, but here we are 10 months later with the same six voices telling their stories. But I am even more impressed by how they are mundane. Our six farmers are impressive, but what they aren't, and bear with me, is unique. Our six stories are just like the thousands of others across the state. As Secretary Ward loves to share with us, agriculture is Arkansas's biggest industry. For every farmhouse, every silo, every fence row, there's a farmer living a story just as inspiring and frustrating. So please, take the time to say thank you, maybe in person with a handshake or a cup of coffee, or maybe in prayer over your dinner table, but find a time for gratitude and remember the words of Paul Harvey. For God needed someone who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners, somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk and replenish the self-feeder and finish a hard day's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who would bail the family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. The growing season is funded through a farm and ranch stress assistance network grant provided by the United States Department of Agriculture and administered by the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. This episode was written and directed by Corey Womack of Arkansas PBS. Our stories are covered by journalists Antoinette Grajeda and Jordan Hickey, as well as Hilary Tridell, Omaya Jones, and Andy Vaught of the Yarn Storytelling Initiative. Audio mastering was done by engineer Tracy Prince. This podcast is an Arkansas PBS production. I'm your host, Ben Dickey, and this has been The Growing Season. If you enjoyed these stories, please review our podcast and be sure to follow Arkansas PBS on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.